So if you serve this one true living God, the creator of heaven and earth, and, and He's blessed you all these years, Jonah, and His hands on your life, then, then why are you on a ship going to a place you're not supposed to be, running from the very God you claim to serve. And here we see one testimony and then the second testimony from the same man. <laughs> Collide. I'm Joplin Emerson, pastor at the Well Worship Center. Thank you for joining us for the Jonas Sermon Series. This study on the book of Jonah has been as helpful and challenging to me as any study I have been in in a very long time. The book of Jonah has come to life to me in a new way, and I pray that as you listen in, it comes to life to you in a new and living way. Thanks for listening. God bless. When it seems like nothing could get worse, and then it does. That's how things are going for Jonah. You know, the longer that we wait to address our problems, the worse the problems become. Have you ever stopped and really considered why did Jonah run? It's kind of a part of the story of Jonah that just sort of gets forgotten because I'm talking literally two or three verses into the story of Jonah. We have this massive storm. But why did he run? Why did he go to Tarshish? God told him to go to Nineveh. Why not just stay home? He had already made up his mind he wasn't going to go where God told him to go. So why go anywhere? Why not just stay where he was in a place of familiarity? Why did Jonah get in a ship and go to Tarshish? I will submit that the reason is because when we run from God, we don't want to be around the people we know. We want to somehow escape it all. Jonah is trying to escape to this place that he thinks is going to be more peaceful and quiet and nobody's going to ask him why he's there and nobody's going to ask him what's going on. You know, I have watched it over the years, a multitude, untold numbers of people eventually leave the church that are really just running from God. They don't want to show up. They don't want to come and look people in the eyes and have to answer the question, how are you doing? They'd rather not answer. They don't want to talk about it. They don't even want to have to fake their way through it. They would rather just run away and not have to face the people they know. And Jonah is on the run trying to get away from the land that he had been in, that he, that he had grown up in, that he had been a prophet in, trying to get away from the place where God told him to go. And in his search or quest, if you will, for peace and tranquility, the further he goes, the longer that he digs his heels in, the worse his situation comes. And then to make matters worse, all the questions he's trying to escape are being thrown at him right here on the deck. All the sailors, they're focusing in on Jonah. Who are you? What's going on? Where did you come from? What people are you from? What have you done wrong? And there he stands. He can't escape it. Things have gotten bad for Jonah. 
They find out that Jonah is the culprit. They cast lots and the lot falls to Jonah. They want to know what he's done. They want to, you know, want him to try to figure out what, what possibly could he go back and retrace his steps and figure out what could how this could all be fixed. Until this point, Jonah was really comfortable running away. In fact, if you remember, he was asleep in the in the ship and they had to wake him up. But as we see, the Lord is closing in on Jonah. I'm going to tell you something about God. Just like Jonah, you can run, but God has a way of closing in on you. God has a way of making sure that you know that you know that you know. He's dealing with you. And as we're going to see, there are choices to be made, and you can make the wrong choice. God has a way of closing in. God has a way of getting our attention. God has a way of awakening us and opening our eyes and bringing us to this place of questioning where we got all these questions that we've got to answer. The finger is pointing at Jonah. This is your fault. This mess is all because of you. Your own actions have brought you to this place. And I want us to look this morning at these verses in the context of some very important questions that every one of us must eventually answer. Number one, the question of who am I? It's interesting in all of the questions that start off, whose account this evil has come upon us? What is your occupation? What do you do for a job? Where do you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? Notice the first two words that Jonah gets out of his mouth, I am. And at the heartbeat of all the questioning that we face is the question of, who am I? Who are you? Who am I? Jonah says, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. At face value, this sounds like a really great answer. And I, wanna, I want us to look at first the great answer, and then we're going to look at the fact it's a little shallow. But first, let us notice that at least it's a straightforward answer. There's no confusion here. Jonah says, I am a Hebrew, or I'm one of the Jews. These, they knew who the Hebrews were. He says, I am a Hebrew. I am of the group of people that follow the Jehovah God, the King of earth, the Creator of heaven and earth. That's, that's who I am. It's a clear, cut, precise statement. He's not mumbling around. I'm a churchgoer. The way a lot of people share their faith. You go to church? Which one? I mean, like a... A dead church, a living church, a Mormon church, a Buddhist church, a Christian church. No, I just, you just go to church. It's, it's amazing how often we sidestep the real question of who I am in relation to God. But not so with Jonah. Not only does Jonah not sidestep the question, I like that he answers it in a present tense faith, right? He doesn't say, well, I, I used to be, used, I used to go to church. Back when I, was a, when I was a teenager, there was a time I got baptized and like I went to church some, but 
No, he says, I am. Right now, standing here on the boat, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God who created the waters and the dry land. The waters where we are and the dry land where we wish we could be. I serve the God that created all of this. It is a clear statement. And immediately, the sailors are like, are you kidding me? What have you done to us? And immediately there is this sense of at least what I would call closure on the part of the sailors that, well, we figured out what's going on. We figured it out. And if you remember, last week, the sailors were all trying to figure out, you know, which God it was that possibly was bringing all this calamity. Their mindset was that of their modern day culture, and there are still cultures right now in 2020 that have the same mindset. And that's this false idea that there's a bunch of little tiny gods, a God that controls the sun, and here's a God that controls the moon, and here's a God that controls the waters, and here's a God that controls the seas, and here's a God that controls the thunder, and here's a God that controls harvest. And if you remember last week, they were just like trying to call out to all these gods, just hopeful that somehow they'd shoot and get one, and he would somehow fix it. Jonah says, no. I serve the one true God who's actually God of all gods, the creator of all these things. And it immediately points to this kind of underlying truth that if there is a God who rules at all, then paying homage to some little God that only rules a little tiny part of it, you can take that faith and throw that in the garbage. And immediately these sailors, there's this sense of, well, at least we figured out what's going on here. And you know what makes what I would call the case for clear testimonies? There is a time that we must just be frank. No, I'm not a churchgoer. No, I don't care if you go to church. The question is, are you a Christian? A blood-bought, born-again Christian who has turned from living your ways and turned to faith in the living God? That's the question. Because if the answer to that question is yes, you're going to find you're a churchgoer. But there are a lot of churchgoers who are going to split hell wide open. It's not a matter of church, not a matter of church membership, not a matter of baptism, not a matter of did you pray the prayer with pastor so-and-so. Not, it's, it's not a matter of that. It's a true matter of the heart turning away from a sinful life to a, to a life of following Jesus. It's not a matter of a prayer. Nowhere in all of Scripture is anybody ever asked to let Jesus in their heart. Nobody's ever asked that. Nowhere, ever. Isn't that weird, though, that that's like the number one evangelistic tool in modern-day American Christianity? Like, would you like to invite Jesus in your heart? He really needs a new friend. He's so lonely out there. Would you just let him in, please? It's absurd. He's the eternal creator God of heaven and earth. He is 
the Word who was in the beginning. All things were created by Him and nothing that was made was made without Him. No, He's not some little lonely guy out here that just hopes you let Him into your heart. No, He is the God of heaven and earth. And here's what the Bible actually says. It says that God now in these times commands all men everywhere to repent. This isn't an invitation. This this is a command. He's not just pleading, would you please ask me into your heart? There needs to be this clear testimony that this is who I am. I'm not ashamed to say it. I don't care if it offends somebody. I am a Christian, a follower of the one true eternal Creator God. Now, why does it matter? Creation has a voice. The Bible teaches us this. The Bible teaches us that all of creation testifies to God. Creation has a voice, and the voice testifies of God. But the voice does not tell you how you can find God. Any true, sincere um, person with a mind that is halfway working cannot look at all creation and think, well, this just must have been two atoms. Here we are. It's mindless foolishness. You got to look at it all and say, there is something bigger than me that created all this. There's a certain order to the universe. There's a certain order to earth. The distance we are from the sun and the way it all works, how perfect it is. Somebody had to design this thing. Somewhere, somehow, there was a hand in all of this. But creation can't really point us too much further than that. It doesn't tell you exactly who it is. It doesn't tell you how to get to this God. It doesn't tell you how to come into a relationship with this God. It doesn't really explain. You can see something's wrong as well when you look at creation, but it doesn't explain why it's wrong. It doesn't help us to have an understanding that sin is what brought death and destruction into this universe. You know, a godly life can point to the Lord. And a godly life should point to the Lord. You should be able to look at somebody who lives a godly life and say, you know what, it is pretty evident that God has influenced that person. But that's about all that a godly life can actually tell you. At some point in time, we've got to speak up. And testify. We've got to say it. We've got to explain it. We have to tell people our testimony. You think about even the life of Jesus uh, here when, on earth. There, there's never been another whose life was like his. I mean, tempted in all points like we were, yet without sin, kept the law. Literally, healed multitudes, did and performed miracles that nobody uh, before him or after has ever done, raised the dead on multiple occasions, and even with him, 
What did God say when, when, he, when His voice thundered from heaven about His Son? This is my Son. Just pay really close attention to His life, and if you think that it looks nice, just ask Him to tell you about it and see what He says. That's not what God said at all. He said, this is my Son, hear Him. Oh yeah, He's got some things you can learn from watching, but you listen to what He says. It is His words that you need to pay attention to. It is His words that you need to hear. It is His words that you, need to he- that you need to heed. It is His words that you need to obey. And we see that there is this, this need for clear, precise testimonies. The reality is that so many who call themselves Christians... Whether they're Christians or not, I don't know. Unfortunately, they don't answer to me, and you don't answer to me. But multitudes who call themselves Christians have been a Christian for years. If you were to ask them, or if you were to ask the people in their lives, the people they work with every day, people they've been at work with for the last 5, 10, 15 years, their neighbors. Most people don't even know they're Christians. Most people don't have any idea what they really do or don't believe. Sometimes, and in some cases, even family members, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, they're not even real sure. Like, I know he goes to church. I'm pretty sure, pretty sure. Yeah, he says he's a Christian. As if somehow being a Christian is like having a, you know, like a card. Like, you know, you get your card. You join a church, you do the baptism thing, whatever it is, and now you're a Christian. Because we're not telling people. We're not clear. Brothers and sisters, there's a need for it. There is a There is a lost and dying world that is hungry for somebody. Whether they agree with that somebody or not. They're hungry for somebody to just step up and say something clear and precise. It's one of the things that I think is important the church does right now. That we're just clear and precise. You don't have to agree with everything I say. You don't have to agree with everything that's going out. But one thing you need to know is what I said. Nothing muddied, nothing, I'm pretty sure here's what he thinks he meant. No, we need to be real clear. There's only one way to be saved. And God commands you to repent, and God commands you to turn to Him in faith. God commands it. It's a command. And if you don't, if you reject the command of God, the only outcome for you is death, hell, and the eternal grave. That's it. Where you will forever be in the second death. That's pretty clear. That's pretty precise. But there is a way out. There is one true God who has made Himself known, who did send His Son, 
to die for your sins and my sins and the sins of the world. And while we have been commanded to repent and follow him, the benefit of doing so, the promise of doing so, is that when we repent and follow him, he gives us new life. He forgives our sins. He forgives our guilt. He causes us to come in right standing with him. And that's why the Bible says there is only one name given under heaven whereby men might be saved, and it is the name of Jesus Christ. We need clear testimonies. Number two, the second question that needs to be asked, not only who am I, but why am I here? You know, they were in fear for their lives, and they're throwing all these questions at Jonah. Jonah finally answers and says, well... Here's what's going on, guys. I'm a Hebrew. I serve the one true living God. And he actually told me to go do something, and instead, I'm running from him. That's what it says. For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. We don't have the whole entire conversation of what went on there, but this question of eventually it's thrown at him like, how did we get here? Why am I here? Jonah, how... How could you be so reckless? And it's here that we see the collision of two testimonies. I told you, on one hand, it's a really great answer. It's a solid answer. It's straight. It's clear-cut. There's no confusion. On the other hand, then... Then, then why are you here? So if you serve this one true living God, the creator of heaven and earth, and, and He's blessed you all these years, Jonah, and His hand's on your life, then, then why are you on a ship going to a place you're not supposed to be running from the very God you claim to serve? And here we see one testimony, and then the second testimony from the same man <clears throat> collide. And here's what you're going to find, brothers and sisters. When you live one way and talk another, it'll eventually catch up. It will always eventually catch up. Why am I here? This really is the answer. Because what you say you believe and how you live are two very different things, Jonah. That's why you're here. That's why your world's a mess. That's why this storm has come upon us. That's why lives are in danger. When I was writing up the notes for this sermon earlier this week, for some reason for me, this second point, why am I here, um, it just really was, for me, it was the point that God spoke to me the most of this week. And, and the question of why are we here? For years, um, it is a question, and it'll be debated for years and years more, the question within the church of why don't we see the same thing that happens in the book of Acts happening in modern-day church? It's a question that's been asked for the years. It's getting, it'll never stop. But 
I would submit to you that most of the time we're not actually, nobody's really looking to answer in the right way. Sometimes it's like, well, we don't have faith. We need more faith. You need to learn how to speak certain magical words. And if you believe those words, then these things happen. No, that's garbage. And then on the other extreme, you have, well, maybe nothing's supposed to happen because uh, um, it wasn't for us. It, it was just for them. And when Paul wrote to the entire church in Corinth about how to use the gifts, he was a little mistaken because the gifts were only for the apostles. No, it's a really confusing topic. And maybe we don't know how or why there's no power in the church, but we'll just assume that there's nothing we can do about it. It's got to be somebody else's fault. We'll throw it on the shoulders of a sovereign God who can do what He wants and whose will is always done. So it must not be the will of God that we have any power in the church. That's also a stupid argument. Because I can tell you one thing, it wasn't the will of God that Jonah was on this ship running from God. And so this question really resonated with me. Why are we here? You know why we're here? Because what we say we believe and how we live are two very, very different things. Because our testimony and the life that we live, the testimony we speak and the testimony we live are two very different things. I chose not to spend a bunch of time on this. But I just want to point out some, some things. You, you might not even go there when you think about it. Because I'm not just talking about, you know, full-blown wickedness. Think about it. So we say that we believe in a God of holiness. That's what we say. We say we believe in a God of holiness. A God who says, be holy because He is holy. We say we believe that, but yet where's the purity in speech? Where's the purity in our thoughts? Where's the purity in our actions? We speak one thing and then live another. We say that we believe He's a God of power. And yet... Where is this daily faith that if God somehow, some way, if I'm true to you and I'm faithful to you and I just obey you and trust you, Lord, you're going to take care of everything. We say we believe in a God that is a God of compassion and love for everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We say we believe in a God who is a God of compassion and love for everyone, everywhere. And then you watch us. We're no different than the tax collectors and the Gentiles, as Jesus said. We love those who love us. That's who we love. But our true love and our true compassion, it doesn't extend much further than our little group of people who think like us, act like us, believe like us, agree with us. We got our little group. And by golly, we sure do love each other. It's amazing how the wickedness of the human heart, we can even somehow justify our lack of compassion for other people and somehow say that we're loving them by withholding love from them, right? It's like, it's like this uh, a tough love deal. 
and yet we're not reaching people. We're not exhausting our lives to bring people to Jesus. I'm telling you, it's really quite embarrassing when we really dig down deep and see how many ways our testimony, what we say we believe as Christians, what we say we stand for as Christians, what we say we believe about God, and then how we actually live over here. It's very, very different. We say that God is a God of truth, that we believe that God is a God of truth. And yet, shouldn't we be open and honest in the way that we deal with business and everything else in our lives? We say that He's the God of life, that He is the God of all life, the God of peace. And yet, you watch the average person who professes to be a Christian and they spend their life going after things and stuff and idols that somehow they think if I have this and I have that or I have this or I have that, then I can have peace, then I can have joy. And we spend our life looking for everything other than God, searching and seeking for everything other than Him to fill us and make us whole. And so I ask the question again, how did we get here? Why are we here? Why has the church lost its voice? Why are we not influencing our culture? Why are we not winning our neighbors? Why are we here? And I will promise you in large part, it's because we got two different testimonies. We all know what to say. We all know how to talk christian But how we really live... Very different. And the last thing I'm going to say, and then I'm going to move, is that what's even more tragic about the truth that I just laid out is that the churches actually begin making an excuse for it. It's almost as if there is no expectation anymore that what you say you believe should somehow impact how you actually live. Almost 20 plus years this has started to work itself in to the fabric of the church. This idea that really what you believe and what your faith is, it doesn't really have to impact your life that much. There's people that even somehow take pride. I mean, they're proud of it. They still cuss like sailors, drink like fish, fornicate at will, sin like all the other sinners. But they are proud of the fact they're Christians. It's insane is what it is. And this preacher will look in the eyes and tell you, you'll never convince me you're a Christian if that's the way you live. Again, you don't answer to me, but I'm just telling you when I read the book, you read the book of 1 John. It's a really short book, by the way. It take you about 15 minutes to read it. And it tells us it was written so that you could know if you're saved. And then it tells us that those, this is how you know. This is an interesting statement. Did you know the Bible says this is how you can know who the sons of God are or who the children of the devil are? That's what it says. Did you know there's a clear-cut statement that says, here's how you know who the children of the devil are, and here's how you know who the children of God are? 1 John. How do you know? Pretty easy. It says those who live in their sins and wickedness are sons of the devil. That's pretty easy. 
preacher, are you telling me that if I don't repent of my sins and that, you know, even if I go to church and I say I believe in God, are you telling me that if I'm living in sin and I'm, you know, fornicating and, and living and, and having unlawful sexual relations outside of marriage and, you know, if, I, if I'm cussing with my tongue in my life, that, that, are you telling me that I'm not saved? First of all, I don't have the authority to tell you you're not saved, I don't think, but God does, and I'm not the one who wrote it. He did. That's what God says. Now, I'm talking about two testimonies here. And I'm telling you, there's this pervasive message that somehow made its way into the church that, like, we really shouldn't expect. You know, we're all sinners. You're a sinner, I'm a sinner. People even, like I said, there's this prideful part of it where it's sort of like, oh, so you must be sinless, huh? Mm-hmm. And, then, and then when we answer with straight honesty, no. No. I'm not saying that at all. I struggle. But make no mistake about it, I struggle with it. I fight it. I don't embrace it. I don't make excuses for it. I see it for what it is. It is wickedness that tries to separate me from God, and I hate it, and I'm disgusted by it, and I, want to, I, and I, and I have this attitude of constant repentance where I see it for what it is. I don't make excuses for it. But that other crowd that comes at it from that other angle, oh, so you're sinless? You know, I've, I've literally... Had people tell me, literally, I'm not making this stuff up, about drinking and drugging and partying and carousing and sexual immorality. Look me in the eyes and tell me, well, that's just my sin. That's just my sin. Are you sinless? And it's amazing that somehow that attitude could even be in the church. The person that told me the exact reference I just told you is a member here. Oh, we thought I was preaching about the churches down the road this morning, didn't we? Oh, you guys were all just sitting in to hear the preacher preach to the rest of the world today. Why are we here? It's a question we eventually have to square with. Where did the power go? Why are we in the mess we're in? Why do we have no influence? Could it be because the very people we're trying to reach, they hear one thing, and then they watch another. It's confusing. Trust me, these sailors were confused. And I would argue they had a reason to be. I would argue the world has a reason to be. Maybe you're here this morning and you're confused about church because you've seen people say one thing and then act another. Listen, if that is you this morning, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's really unfortunate. It happens. Hopefully this morning you can see 
in my heart and in my eyes that I know that it happens. I'm broken about it. But just because there are hypocrites that say one thing and live another, that is not going to be a justifiable excuse for why you reject God. You are going to have to look past all of the hurt and pain and all of the garbage that you've seen and somewhere in the midst of all of it, you are going to have to square with your own life. Who are you? And why are you here? The third question that has to be asked. Actually, before I tell you the third question, I want to say one last thing. 30 seconds. I think it's really important that we understand that, you know, Jonah's over here getting all these questions. What have you done? Where, why would you do this to us? What is wrong with you? And it's a very embarrassing place for Jonah. He's being confronted. And you'll find God is a confronting God. You may feel confronted right now. Why did God do this? Was God just trying to embarrass Jonah? Was that the goal and the heart of God? Was God just mad and He just wanted to embarrass Jonah? No. A thousand times no. God is in relentless pursuit of Jonah. And God has a purpose for Jonah and for Jonah's life. And God's got to turn him around. And notice the extent that God has gone to. This is something else that we've got to wake up to, brothers and sisters. And I'm not the best in the world at it. Sometimes I pray God would help me to say these hard things. I think these things I say are hard. I don't like saying them. And I pray God that He would help me to say the hard things with a sense of more tenderness. But I look at the way that He tracks down Jonah, and I'm like, sometimes there's no other way for God to get our attention but this. And most of us, if we were going to look at, you know, and counsel God on how to get a hold of Jonah, we'd tell Him to be a little more tender there, God. Just... Jonah's feelings are hurt. Wrap your little arms around him and tell him that he's loved and tell him that everything's going to be okay. God said, no, that's not going to work for Jonah, actually. I'm going to have to bring the most violent storm of his life that's nearly going to kill him, and I'm going to have to question him right there in front of everybody. And even after I do that, he's still going to dig his heels in and want to be thrown into the sea. There is a time and place for being approached. God is the confrontational God. But it wasn't to punish Jonah. It was to turn him around. So the next question is, what can be done? You know, this is the final inevitable question the sailors ask. So what can we do? And Jonah says, take me and throw me into the sea. What a coward answer. I mean, if that is the answer, Jonah, you got to get off the boat and you got to die, fine. But why doesn't he just jump? You know? Why is he got to... He's not even going to jump. Instead, he's going to unnecessarily implicate these sailors in his murder. Jonah's just lost his mind, and it's this incredible picture of how stubborn we can be as humans. Man, we can be so stubborn. He could have jumped. Instead, he says they need to throw him in. It's remarkable through this whole story, as awful as it is, how God used it to reach these sailors and how God has used it to, to give us some great symbolism of how He is in relation with us. 
These guys, they seek an alternative. But you can't hardly blame them, right? So they're, they're awakened to the fact there happens to be a true God that actually has the power to do this stuff. But if he is doing this because this guy is running from him, what's he going to do to us if we throw him over sea, overboard? And so instead, the sailors, they row, and they row hard. It's a, it's a picture of the impossibility of men, whether there's one of you or whether there's a team of you, it doesn't matter. You cannot outrow the wrath of God. It's pointless. And they're rowing, and the Bible says the storm grew worse. It's an interesting uh, picture of the storm. Us preachers, a lot of times, uh, we just try to visualize what's going on, and I think it, I think it helps provide context, but I'm going to tell you in my mind as I thought about this storm, I feel like a couple of things. Number one, we know this is a supernatural storm, and so what I'm about to tell you isn't really all that crazy. This is a supernatural storm that stops in a supernatural way, but I kind of feel like it was so bad that it actually would have sunk the ship if God wasn't holding it up. That's what I think. I think these sailors were, were thinking to themselves, why aren't we dead yet? Never been in a storm like this. Something doesn't make sense. All they knew is they were on the brink of death. They were lucky to be alive. And yet, now that's how it was in the very beginning, right? They're terrified. That's how it was in the beginning. The storm gets worse and worse and worse. I almost wish like we had a camera to just watch it, to see what was going on. And I'm telling you, I just think it was pandemonium. It was the worst typhoon that had ever been, and it's just it would, would have torn the, the, the ship apart if it wasn't for God, the same God who brought the storm, being the same God who was holding everything together. Eventually, they realize we're not getting anywhere. And it's almost like the thought crossed their mind, we're going to die anyways. Let's just give this Jonah thing a shot. Let's throw him overboard, man. And so that's what they do. They grab Jonah... And they throw him overboard. And the Bible says, notice, uh, how, how is it? They picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased its raging. When I, that, that gave me another picture. It wasn't just that the storm stopped. It says the sea ceased its raging. In my mind, I don't know how long it took. I don't think it was long. The, the, the waves just went as calm and tranquil as they'd probably ever seen them out on the sea. The fourth question, and we're done this morning, is what can be learned? It's a very important question about our earthly experiences. When we find ourselves in that place where everything is wrong, everything's falling apart, we need to ask, who am I? We need to ask... Why am I here? How did this happen? And then we need to ask, what can be done? Once we have direction on what can be done, there's a time and place for looking back on it all and saying, what can I learn from that? I often tell people that are in their, their Christian journey, because people fall. You need to know that. People do. People make mistakes. I've made mistakes. I've fallen right on my face as a Christian. Every other person in this room has done the same. 
And one of the things that if you've ever counseled with me on the back end of a bad mistake, you know that I say something or I have said something similar to, get up and don't get hit by the same punch again. It's one thing to get knocked down by a punch you didn't see coming. It's another thing to get up, put yourself in the same stupid scenario, and get hit again the same way. That's a whole different ball game. Get up and learn from it, man. Get up off the ground, sister. Learn from it. This is a fight. I remember one time, Branson won't mind me sharing this. I'm not going to tell you what it was, but there was a situation. He'd only been saved like six or seven months. It wasn't very long. He, he fell on his face and was just broken, devastated. And I think he thought I was just, everything was over. And I just remember, like I just felt telling him, and he wasn't like literally crying, tears coming down his face. But I just said, dude, how long are you going to cry about this? Like it's over. You can't change it. You can't fix it. Get up, man. Don't get hit by the same punch again. And go. And so there's this time and place from looking back and saying, well, what can I learn from all of this? And I'm going to share very quickly seven things. I'm not even going to spend 60 seconds on any of it. It's going to be quickly. Five minutes and we're done. Seven quick bullet points that we learn from our text. Number one, we learn that earthly idols are powerless. That's what we learn. That in your day of calamity, all the earthly idols in the world will not save you. You know, we look to different idols to provide a sense of security. Here in American culture, I've watched God pull a lot of those idols out from under our feet the last couple of months and people finding out that how much they were actually trusting in stuff. It, don't, it doesn't matter how much fame you have, success you have, wealth you have, influence you have, these earthly idols will not save. They are powerless in the day of calamity. Number two, we learn that there is a God. One true God. And His name is Jehovah. He is the maker of heaven and earth. He is the Lord of lords, the King of kings, and He deserves to be served. The third thing that I see when we look back on this story and we learn from the text is the simple truth that God answers the humble plea of those who called Him. These sailors called out to the Lord. Imagine their first prayer. These are sailors, man. These are kind of rough people. I promise you this, whatever they prayed, it wasn't some beautiful, eloquent set of words set in the 1600 old English of the King James Version, Oh, thou greatest God of heaven and earth. They were crying out, Lord, please don't kill us, but we're going to throw this man in the sea. But it was a humble and sincere prayer, and God heard the prayer of these sailors. That's what's fascinating. Even Jonah doesn't pray. The one man on the ship who should be praying, the prophet of God, he's digging his heels in, man. He'd rather die than turn around. But these sailors, oh Lord, the one who has brought all this to pass, please don't hold us accountable for this. We're doing the best we know how. And they throw Jonah over and God answers. You need to know this morning, God answers a sincere and humble plea for help. Number four, a lesson that we learned quickly from our text this morning is that God honors faith that is followed by action. You know, it took faith for these guys to throw Jonah over. It was like the one act of faith they could do. I mean, this was the direction they had. It came from the prophet himself. 
It didn't make a whole lot of sense. In fact, uh, our worship leader was talking about that at the very beginning of service. Sometimes God calls us to do things that don't make sense. But they had some direction. They had a word from God's prophet. And so it was like, we don't know what else to do. We tried to row ourselves out of this. By faith, we're going to act upon the knowledge we do have. And we see that God honored that faith. Number five, we see that God makes himself known in ways we never would have imagined. That's one of the awesome things that's happening in this story right now is God is making himself known. Next week, I can't wait for next week as we look at the sign of Jonah and we look at all the symbolism of Christ here in this story. And God, brothers and sisters, he's making himself known, but he does it in ways we never would have thought possible. These sailors didn't get up that morning and think, you know what? We're going to come to know God today, boys. And even if they did, which they didn't, I can assure you this, it wasn't through this plan. Nobody scripts this kind of stuff. And we learn that God has this incredible way of making himself known in ways we never would have imagined And if there's any glimmer of hope in all of this right now, and even in this uh, weird time of the COVID-19 and our country and the world being crazy, it's this. We serve a God who specializes in making himself known in situations we never could have imagined. And we need to be praying right now, God, make yourself known. God, reveal yourself to us once again. God, reveal yourself to this nation. God, reveal yourself to this world. And it should cause us to have a sense of hope, even when things are going on we don't understand. When it seems like this storm is not helpful to anybody, well, you're not as smart as God. It's actually incredibly helpful. Here we are thousands of years later still talking about it. It led to the salvation of all the sailors. Oh, it was very helpful. And just maybe God knows what He's doing and we don't. The sixth thing I see is that God will be found by those who seek Him. And I'll ask our worship team to get in place this morning. God will be found by those who seek Him. In verse 5, the sailors are afraid of the storm. By the time we get to verse 16, now they're afraid of the Lord. They're fearing Him. We have an actual salvation story here, like tucked in here. And I don't have the time to deal with it this morning. But these men turn to the Lord. They pray to the Lord. There's this really interesting statement. We read it in verse 16. Then they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. What did they sacrifice? You know, I'm sure whatever it was, it wasn't like the customary Jewish sacrifice. I doubt they had a ram just tucked away in case they ever decided to become Jews. What did they sacrifice out there In the ocean, we don't even know. It doesn't tell us. But here's what we do know. The sacrifice was significant enough to God that it's recorded for us right here. It was like we have got to give something to God. Because He is God. He is the God of the seas. He is the God of the heavens. He is the God of all power. And they turned to Him in faith. And they made vows. You know what vows is? It's the promise. God, we're not going to be the same after this. We'll never be the same after this, God. 
We're going to change the way we talk. We're going to change the things we do. We're going to change the way we live. We are changed, God. And we promise you that we turn to you. Right here, we see this truth that God will be found by those who seek Him. The final thing, the seventh quick lesson that I see here is that you cannot outrun the wrath of God. You can't do it. Jonah's got it all figured out. He's just going to die. God says, I will chase you to death, Jonah. You can't outrun God. The only way to make the wrath of God stop, the only way to change and alter your destiny is to stop running from God and to face Him. You've got to face Him. And you've got to deal with, who am I? Why am I here? What can be done? If you have breath in your lungs, a heart that's beating in that chest of yours, I'll tell you what can be done. You can turn to Jesus Christ in faith. You can turn away from your ways and follow the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. You know, as this chapter closes, next week we're in verse 17. As this chapter closes, you'd think the story is over. The sea is calm. Jonah is swallowed by the whale. He's dead. It's over. From the perspective of the sailors on board, it certainly looked over. They throw him over. Everything calms down. <laughs> Huge fish swallows him up. Jonah's gone. Everything's good. Seems like the story's over. What's fascinating is it's kind of just getting started. We got a revival in Nineveh to talk about. But first, we've got a revival in the heart of Jonah. We've got a God to talk about who will chase us to the ends of the earth if He has to. Who when it's all said and done, when it's all said and done, we will not be able to point the finger at Him and say, you didn't try hard enough, God. You didn't pursue me. You didn't face me. You didn't stop me dead in my tracks. You didn't deal with my heart. You didn't speak clearly to me. God will be able to say, I did it all the time. It comes down to us this morning. Thank you for joining us today. Before you go, we just want to quickly say that we believe the Word of God, when preached in the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit, it has the power to transform your life. Often, when somebody hears a message, their heart is moved, they're thinking, I want to respond, I need to do something about what God is dealing with me about, but they don't know where to go from there. If that is you, we are going to plead with you to reach out to us. We want to help you on your faith journey. Whether you need to be saved or just need someone to help walk you through that, uh, whether maybe you are saved and you're just in a place in life where you feel stuck and you need to get unstuck, please don't let whatever God is doing in your heart right now just kind of fade away to a point you forget all about it. Would you reach out to us? Let us know how we can pray for you. 
let us know whatever your need might be. We want to be there for you. You can contact us at our church office, 316-295-4210. You can contact us through our Facebook page, through our website, thewellwc.church. Just whatever it takes, find a way to reach out and get the help you need if God's dealing with your heart. Again, thank you for listening. God bless you and have a good day.